This is the Customer Acquisition Show, the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. Anthony says, you listen to the most recent PT podcasts about cost per content. Would that be a good way to position it to clients to put somewhat of a cost reporting perspective on it for clients? And I think this also goes to why people default to conversion is because it's easily measurable. Branding is not necessarily easily measurable. So Rob, maybe hit on cost per content a little bit. And Landon, I'd be curious to your perspective on if this would be a valuable way to present the amount and differentiation you need for clients. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a hard pill for some businesses to swallow because they realize, well, wait a second, I have to spend money now that might not get the payoff six months from now. <laughs> so, and then with attribution being the way that it is right now on all the platforms, it's harder to measure. I don't really even know, like if I start producing videos like these guys say in the customer acquisition show, I'm not going to see anything from that for a while. It's going to depend on what your customer life cycle is. I do think that the new paradigm really is not necessarily CPA. It's cost per content. The reason I'm saying that is as long as you have tools in which to measure it or at least to get close to measuring it so that you understand which content at the very, very top, top end of the funnel, the ones that are not converting. This show is an example of that. This is very meta without saying meta like Mark Zuckerberg meta. This show is part of this whole concept. If you've noticed like how we're actually doing this, we are not pitching tier 11. Well, if you want to go buy tier 11 stuff and set an appointment and go to our call to action, and you're going to end up talking to me, by the way, because you know, I'm the new sales guy this week. Great. But that's not the purpose of this show. The purpose of this show is to create content to create your audience. Your content then creates the audience. At a very, very top level, people will value that content or maybe it speaks to a pain point or to a desire and they say, oh, I identify with that person. But this might be the first touch point that they get into a show called the Customer Acquisition Show, which isn't even branded to our brand. This is almost the way that it needs to be done. Athletic Greens didn't do it through like the Athletic Greens page. They did it through Joe Rogan. They did it through, I forget what the name of their page was, but they basically have pages, which is purely educational content. And it just indoctrinated them in. And then through the beauty of retargeting and through capturing audiences, you can then start to sort of slowly take them down that pathway. We call it the customer acquisition path. Some people call it the customer journey ultimately to a sale. And that's the way that humans normally buy stuff. And I know, Tom, you have the Floby example. I have the remarkable two example of people who've listened to the podcast. You know, it's like they took me on this great journey and I was fascinated by how it all worked to ultimately buy a $600 thing that I now use like all the time. And here it is like right here. You know, I'm using it every single day. The point was, is I didn't know who the hell they were three months ago, and now it's an indispensable part of my life. If you can do that, and I think Remarkable 2 does it really well, and I think a lot of brands like AG1, I think, does it well, all of a sudden, this becomes a different paradigm shift, and you're not necessarily... The CPA, the goal at the end, like it's got to make financial sense. It's got to return from an ad spend perspective. But as soon as you go tippy top of the funnel, top, 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 brand awareness, reach, a lot of these campaigns that have nothing to do with conversion, video views, we even do it sort of in a mid funnel at a consideration kind of campaign with link clicks or traffic now is what it's called. You have to measure all of that. And I think cost per content is the new paradigm 
from my perspective, it now measures your efficiency in being able to produce the right types of content. And ultimately, how does that lead to your customer acquisition cost? It now flips the paradigm from pure website conversion campaigns, which, as we know, for pretty much any industry, the CPMs in those campaigns are going to be $30, $40, $50. But as soon as you go into the brand awareness and the reach campaigns, video view campaigns, which is like really what we're talking about here, top of funnel content that's not salesy, it's helpful and useful, you're looking at CPMs that are like three, four, five dollars. So if you blend it all together to ultimately get to your ultimate goal, which is to hit your KPIs and your metrics, using cost per content as an indicator on the front end is a very smart way of looking at your business. And I think this is a new concept for a lot of people. We're hashing this out internally inside tier 11. But if you can start to think differently about this, I think I actually counted this up in a video. I think it was 37 or 38 touch points for Remarkable 2 before I actually bought the damn thing. That's a lot. And if you understand that that's how your journey actually has to occur, then I think you're a better marketer as a result of it. Yeah, and it probably wasn't the same ad. You probably just didn't see the same Remarkable 2 ad 37 times before you bought. It was content that hit. It was some content that was completely irrelevant to me too, which is always sort of funny because it was like for engineers doing, I don't know, debugging diagrams. And the only reason I knew about that is because my son is an engineer. So I was like, all right, well, that's cool. Oh, you can draw on the thing? Oh, that's cool. It hit me in so many different ways, sort of to your point, Landon. It's like they put out such a wide swath of content. And I don't think it was like, oh, let's do avatar number one, which is engineering guy. Let's do avatar number two, which is CEO guy. Let's do avatar. I don't think they actually really even did that. So the whole idea of like the avatar doesn't really matter. Know what your audience is looking for. Understand what their potential pain points are. Understand what the objections to the sale are, more sort of deeper in the funnel. But like at a very base level, understanding who your target market is and what their pain points are, their desires are. For me, it was a stack of yellow legal pads that I write on all my calls. And then they're sitting in a pile over there and I have no idea. I was looking for something today. I was like, when did I last talk to this guy? Shit, I wish I had those notes somewhere. And it was a video that talked about that. I'm like, that's me. And I don't know which of the 37 touch points it was. The point was, is, and it didn't really pitch the product. It was probably sort of mid-funnel. They had retargeted me at that point in time. But my point is, is like, this is the type of stuff that you have to start thinking about as a marketer. It's not all about CPA. And I think that the cost per content produced and the cost per content actually posted is probably even more important in measuring that metric and then adjusting as time goes on. This is a more mature way of marketing. If you have no money in the bank and you're a startup, like go website conversion campaigns. Just start off, see if you can actually sell shit to the world. That's a good way to start. But if you're struggling to scale, this is absolutely where you need to be going right now. And it's not just hiring an agency and saying, hey, run more website conversion campaigns. That's great. We can probably make some improvements, but they're tiny improvements. This is where it all of a sudden you're using content top of funnel for brand that ultimately pulls people into that customer journey, that customer acquisition path. And I think cost per content is the new metric for sure. We have not talked about kind of your own your owned content, your blogs. And this is maybe something you can kind of hit on, Lynn, of 
how do you create so many amazing blogs that resonate? Well, and you're the person who came up with all of our lovely content ideas for next year. You just think I'm of the opinion that if it's good enough for a video, it's good enough for a blog and vice versa. So I'm really, 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 really in the redistribution camp of come up with a content seed distributed everywhere. So with that in mind, presume that whatever I say is good for blogs is also good for an email to your list or a social post or a video or even a podcast episode. I mean, it's digging into each of those steps one by one. So start with FAQs, start with misconceptions, common questions, what you wish people knew, pain points and symptoms. Think of a good product. It's shoes. My husband's six foot two. He has a hard time finding shoes that fit him and that will stand up to 250 pounds, right? You could dig into the pain points. What what is different about our shoes, you know, that are good for big guys going hiking versus the other shoes and talking about that. So you could talk about pain points or do you have a pain like right here in your ankle? And because I don't know, podiatrists would say, oh, the pain that's this way is, you know, if you can speak to that, someone goes, I do have that pain right there in my ankle after I hike. Now you've got it, which you never would have if you were just talking about, oh, it's rubber and blood, like nobody cares. If you start talking about them and a pain that they have. And again, every product has pain points or symptoms of a deeper problem. So I would dig into those. Of course, you can always look at your competitors and see what are they talking about. Although I find so many brands are so boring and so like generic that unless you're going to take the content idea and apply your worldview, um, and kind of lead it into how we're different and how we think about this topic, it's going to be, I think, a waste of time to just copy someone else's article. But yeah, that's where I start. Just dig in. Yeah, the consistency of message across all these platforms, which you were talking about this content I, content seed, is going to make for a better customer's journey because they are under, they are seeing the the brand all the way through. And then if you're a product looking to move up to be a brand and grow longer term, having this worldview that you apply to everything is what people are going to end up believing in about you. And then that just mission to join. Yeah, yeah. We used to kind of talk about the redistribution stuff. Uh, we called it content multiplication, which was, you know, like you said, then taking a seed, planting it across everything. And I think it's always important to remember too, with that, that you may have somebody who's very visual and like, that's me. I watch videos. Like if I want to learn about something, I'd rather watch a video than read it. But you're going to have the exact opposite as well. There's going to be somebody who's like, I'm never hitting a play button, especially like my wife. If she sees it's longer than like 30 seconds. She's like, why would I spend time watching this? Tell me in five seconds or I'm out. She'd probably rather read something if she's interested in it. So it's important to have that stuff. And then there's auditory yeah. people who will listen to the podcast. Or there's tools where you can auto-generate audio like a player on top of a blog post that will play it that increases time on page for people who prefer listening. Yeah, this is maybe what we didn't touch on creating content, the actual creation of it. I think with video and image stuff, you always have stock photos, stock video, but everybody has a camera on their cell phone. Now, I would make the argument if you're just getting started, quality is something you should worry about. And if you can afford to get something as simple as like a lavalier microphone, you know, like a little clip on microphone, something to just enhance it a little more than your built in phone mic. Great, but you don't have to have it. The key is going to be to start getting content out there. So everybody has a cell phone these days. Everybody's got a camera on that cell phone. Most phones have a selfie cam. So if you're by yourself, selfie video yourself answering questions. I mean, that's half of what social media is these days. It's people taking videos of themselves. So you won't be some outlandish person, people questioning, oh, what is this? Why is this on here? 
you're going to fit into social media. So don't worry about that. I think the key is just get started and be consistent. That's what we didn't talk about earlier, I think. That worry about being too... Yeah, yeah. We've heard that before. Like, I can't build a, do an, a commercial, yeah. so how can I... You look at you big know. brands, you're like, why do these guys have a unicorn pooping ice cream? I can't do that. I don't have a unicorn. You know, <laughs> don't don't get so caught up in that. Just focus on the fact that you can create content. I think that's one of the crazy cool parts about the world we live in these days is we absolutely can create content. We have that ability at our fingertips at any given point during the day. So one type of story that you use in marketing is your customer stories, your client stories. And your competitors can rip off a lot from you. They can take your design, they can take your funnel, they can name their product something similar, but they can't take your customer stories. And so the more you have of them, especially like on video, like Amy, like that interview is perfect. The more you have of those, the less your competitors are going to be able to, they can't steal those, right? So that's even if just for that purpose, you have to get these, you have to get these, you have to get testimonials and ideally more than so-and-so is great in a written text that anybody could generate. It helps put that moat around your current customers too, because once they give you a testimonial, they're yours. They're like, oh no, I'm this person's (laughs) fan. I'm not going to go and buy something else um, because I told the whole world that this was the best. And so now I'm, this is what I find. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Um, Reminds me of old Simpsons episode where Homer's climbing the mountain and he was sponsored by a power bar brand. And then he, they said he switched brands halfway up the mountain. He didn't make it. But that's a, maybe a reverse testimonial idea, too, of if you can steal a customer from a competitor, that's a pretty good testimonial. Oh, I used to use this brand, but then I switched to you. Oh, yeah. If you can get brand. that, always. Yeah. And that should be a question. What did you try before? What were you using before? What did you like about That's good info anyway, right? What did you like about yeah. what you were using? But what was missing? Why was it not enough? And why did you choose us? It's the TikTok trend of why I gave up this after five years or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I think TikTok is like the prime example of why testimonials are so powerful. Because like TikTok is just authentic, generally. Like it doesn't feel highly produced, at least my own personal TikTok feed. Like it's a very feeling that people are just being honest. And if they talk about a product, I'm more likely, if I know, if I've seen them a lot of times, I'm more likely to go at least investigate that product. Maybe they're really good actors and I've been fooled or maybe they're just, hopefully they're just being open and honest. I don't know. I'm optimistic. But I think going back to the service testimonial idea, and this is, I guess, a pretty powerful overall, but with service testimonials, you're really trying to capture a feeling. You can't really demonstrate a product a service particularly well so the testimonials are the most powerful thing that you have in your toolbox of like the feelings involved whether that's i know we have a lot of personal injury lawyers that we work with where you know the testimonials for those clients are like the insurance company was screwing me around such lawyer before it i love personal injury testimonials i love pulling them out into a nice story but it's even before that like one guy it was like i was just doing, I had a side job. I was delivering pizzas on the side and I was on my bike and everything was great. It was such a nice day. And I looked, there was nobody and out of nowhere, a truck hit me. So even starting the before of like their Mm. status quo, their life is completely upended. 
how they felt. Maybe they thought they were okay, and then they discovered they weren't. Uh, who the lawyers they talked to, and then why they chose the law firm they did, and then we can go a little bit into the experience. But yeah, hitting on the emotions of, or I thought that the system would help me. Like I thought I would be covered, and I wasn't. And that realization, back to your point, Amy, of trusting the system, right? The realization that the system isn't designed to help you. The insurance company isn't your friend. The medical, no one's going to pick up the tab and you don't have universal health care. The medical system isn't going to pick up the tab. You're stuck. And then everything that cascades with it. Yeah. They're horrible situations, but they're from a copywriting perspective, there's a lot to work with. I don't want to say fun to write. That might be a terrible thing to say, but there's a lot to work with and to really craft an emotionally compelling story in 200, 300 words that can really help move the needle on conversions. And we're copywriters, so we always have a happy ending. So there's no tragedy exactly. <laughs> in marketing. It always ends well. Right. You've got to sell the hope, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anthony agrees with Dylan about what you said about PI law firms. He says the story matters and lots of victims don't even know how the system is designed. Right. Against them. Yeah. So the testimonial is learning is education too. Right. So if they, an education from the victim's perspective with their preconceptions, I love to incorporate preconceptions of, I thought it would be this way. You know, I thought I could just call my insurance company and I would get a check. Like as much as I can use their language, especially with law across all areas of law, the average legal consumer knows nothing. (laughs) And what they do know is often a misconception based on some horror story they heard from their friend or what they saw on law and order. So it's really important for our legal clients to have testimonials, which also educate as well as supporting copy. But yeah, that's a really good point. The testimonials serve to educate. Yeah. And it's really there also to smooth over objections that a potential client might have. Cause I mean, at least in our, my home bias is that there's lawyers have a certain like they're just money out there for the money. And when you can use a testimonial to really showcase how helpful a lawyer can be in the process, right. like that really helps break down that barrier. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially, yeah, law, I think is one of the, yeah, among all of the service industries, law, I think is the one that needs the most objection, preconception busting. We even have like on some of our pages, we put in FAQs that are objection busting and the myth reframing because people don't know. Yeah. And then other service stuff that we've done, I think like medical procedures. I don't know. I don't think we have a varicose vein one, but things where you could really showcase how this has changed somebody's life and how they, there's an appearance aspect in a lot of these, like whether it's plastic surgery or other stuff, but it's really the feeling. It's always trying to get down to the feelings of these things. Like, right. Like what's the feeling that you went from to where you are now? Did they get their desire? And I think that's why the questions you ask when you're trying to get a testimonial are so important too, because people aren't going to go to the feelings. They're just going to say, Oh, this was a nice product. And just kind of, right describe or say nice things about the product, but that's not what sells. It is that feeling. So you really have to draw that out of people when you're trying to get good testimonials. Yeah. yeah. A simple framework that I, I used to always like to use is like, I think it's like seven layers of why, right? Where it's like, well, why did you like this product? Okay. Why did you like that 
about that. And I was just like, can't try to ask why for each of those questions. Like mm-hmm. you're a four year old. Yes. Yes. <laughs> eventually they run out of surface level things to say and get down to, well, I really want to feel a certain way again. <laughs> yep. Yep. All that vulnerable stuff that people are actually thinking. And this is true of all copy. The closer we can get to putting in our marketing what somebody is thinking but won't say, the better we'll do. Because if we can show that we know what they're thinking, then they'll trust us with other stuff. Oh, you know me well enough to know what I'm really feeling, but don't tell anybody. You must really know your stuff. You must really know what you're doing. You must have been doing this for a long time. So it's so important to get voice of the customer, deeper motivations voice of the customer in your testimonials and in your copy. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.